you are listening to a production of the Toll Network. This is the Uncommon Cast RX, number 250, end of line. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona, and this is Common Rider 01, episode 44, There's Only One Person Who Can Stop You, and 45, Our Future. Our episode writer is Takahashi Gotdang Yuya. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that is, like, I don't think they do... Uh, do they have? Do they do middle names over there? I don't. I don't know, I don't know actually. I'm, but like he could probably like just be like, no, it's it's like official now. My name is Takahashi. God dang Yuya! Like just right up there with. Oh no no no! My middle name is Mfer. <laughs> um, and our director for both is Sugihara Teruaki, uh, who did an amazing job. Yeah yeah. Um, before we do get into these episodes, I want to clear up a mystery that we've brought up a couple times over the course of our coverage of Zero One, uh, which is the whereabouts of Aruto's mom, which I'm sure someone has figured out before me. It's been like eight months since the place that I got this from showed up in the show. But no one's brought it up to me in the entire time that we've been covering this, so I'm just gonna take credit. That's fair. Because, you know, after watching these two episodes, I just, I got curious because she just has never come up. Um, so I dug around and I ended up translating the Hiden family gravestone that we see, uh, right after they kill Ikazuchi the first time and they go, uh, to the graveyard with Subaru. Um, and the gravestone does include Aruto's grandfather, his grandmother, his human father, robot father, and his mother. Her date of death matches human sorrows, so it can be assumed that whatever accident that his father died in that he mentioned uh, back during the voice actress episodes, um, that she also died in that accident because the dates were the same. That would make sense, and presumably he doesn't really have a lot of memory of either of them. Yeah. Since um, his primary memory of his dad is Robo-Dad. Yeah, I I kind of wish that it had been brought up, because he does say that, like, his father died in an accident when he was very young, and I'm kind of like, why didn't you say your parents? But he doesn't seem to really even remember the non-robot version of his father, so it's possible that he just was very young, like maybe two or three, and doesn't remember his parents at all, and just doesn't have any kind of emotional connection with his mother, where he has kind of an emotional connection with the idea of his father as the Yumagir that raised him, that he knows is replacing a human that died. Mm. Um, it's just, it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah, but... Hey, but we did solve the mystery. Point. Sadly, yes. Aruto's mom never got to kiss a robot. Which is honestly a real tragedy. Like, I mean, the real tragedy is that, you know, they both died, leaving their son orphaned. But uh, the secondary tragedy is she didn't get to kiss a robot. You know, just... But, but hey, like, extra points to them for visual storytelling, even as, like, we missed it for a long time, because, you know don't really read Japanese in a, in a casual way. But still, like, that's really cool. And I love that uh, Robot Sereo got a place on the gravestone. That's just downright decent. Yeah, I mean, Aruto did say that uh, what they could get of him after, the, after Daybreak was buried there. So I have to imagine it was rough on Grandpa having to bury his son twice. <sighs> yeah, oof. Man, Grandpa... Grandpa Hiden been through some stuff. Yeah. Honestly, like, 
I normally am not the type to demand more hashtag lore movies and whatnot, but Grandpa Hiden is is a guy I would love to watch a movie about. I just, I want to know, like, why he wasn't in Aruto's life as an adult. Like, where where did that separation happen? Who raised Aruto after his robot dad died? Because he was, like, ten at the most. Yeah, if that, yeah. I don't know, like, I, I, like, I kind of like the thought that just, you know, he, he lost his son, built a new son, and then he lost that son, and he just did not have the emotional anything for Aruto. See, I'm... I'm fine with that. I just want to know that story. Did yeah, did Aruto yeah. just, like, live in his house until he was old enough to take care of himself and then just, like, left to do his own thing because his grandfather just never was attached Engaged to him? With him? Yeah. It, it made for some really interesting stuff. Yeah, I just want to know. I want to know yeah. these things. And, you know, again, we don't need them, but sure would be nice. And that's that's the kind of story I like. I like when you don't need a whole bunch of backstory, but what's there is so good you just want more, more, more. Yeah. God, that's where I am with Zero One. Yeah, same, same. Uh, hey, guess what? The people who've been just kind of exploding about this series for most of its length, uh, really, really like how it's been going. But before we get into that, let's get into our problems and nitpicks just to get them out of the way, because, you know, they're there, and it's good to, you know, talk about the things you don't like and the things you like. Um, there's still a level on which I feel kind of weird about Aruto's emotional response to killing Jin. Um, I don't deny the fact that even killing someone accidentally, Aruto would respond with, I've done something that can't be taken back, because that's a reasonable response. Yeah. That, that is, is a completely reasonable response. response. Um, and I that he would get kind of even more lost in his own grief having done this terrible thing, I feel like that is natural and a normal response but half the time it seems like he's responding to it as though he did it on purpose mm. which feels weird also because of the fact that he has once actually killed Jin on purpose <laughs> and Hirobi and didn't respond this way at all to it yeah, that's... Mm. Kind of had Excellent. no emotional reaction, just kind of kept doing what he was doing. Um, and I suppose there's a difference in circumstance where previously Jin has been, had been acting as a threat to both humans and Yuma Gears, which is why Aruto destroyed him, whereas now he stepped in to take this hit for his father that he loved. And I just, I just feel like that is a bit of plot that got a little bit too condensed and there's some piece missing to making the emotional, uh, kind of that emotional narrative work 100% instead of just 99%. Because it's, it's not even a huge problem, it just feels weird the tone in which it's spoken of sometimes. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because, like, even her, like, I could see Hiroi being like, yeah, you killed my son, and acting like Aruto did it on purpose, because to him there's no difference. But Aruto's just like, yes, I did that. And I'm like, mm, not quite the way that you're saying you did it, though. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. Um, like, my big bad thing is a similarly kind of, like, just, uh, sort of thing, but it's, okay, now hear me out, it, but it's the whole Humagears protesting thing, because it just, it hits that ongoing little itch with the series where they're using the Humagear as a 
stand-in slash commentary on marginalization writ large. And while, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, it's just one of those things that hits me weird, because while I think they've done a good job of exploring how marginalization is not quote-unquote natural, it is in fact socially constructed and actively created, it is a thing we want to do for reasons we might not even understand ourselves, but it's, you know, it, it is a way of seeing people as unpersons, and that, you know, that sucks. And and I appreciate that they're showing that, and they resisted a lot of opportunities to take that to a bad extreme and fully Detroit become human it by, again, just making it a one-for-one for another actual marginalized population. So, like, it's just the thing where it's it's just kind of weird to me to be coding their complaints with these popularly used protests, which have very specific things that they want to address in at least in in the current in the current moment. Which now look again, I'm not saying it's bad that they're using that imagery, because you know it's it's how you make the points they're trying to make in the quickest way possible. That's what coding is. For. Four. That's what it does. That's why used right. It's a very clever tool in the storyteller's toolbox. But at the same time, it just it hits weird sometimes. But at least with that, even as I think it hits weird at times, I am happy that Yuya knows what side he's on, and he is on the side of the protesters. Which you know, thumbs up. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with all of that um, because again, it's like. For them to kind of know the language of protests feels weird, but looking at it on a practical level, I'm just like, what else could they have done that would carry the same weight but yeah. doesn't have the Yumigir diving straight into violence? Because they seem to be trying to avoid that before Azu broadcasts the Aruto versus Hirobi fight, because at that point they're just like, hey, we want rights. Um, and we feel as though we're reaching a point where even what few rights we have are kind of at risk. And also, please explain what the heck is happening with the one dude we thought was on our side. And it's yeah. it's when they see him fight that they're like, oh no, even the, the one human that we trusted is turning against us. And they start kind of giving in to that malice. I'm not sure how else they could have gotten there, even if I agree that the protest iconography feels a little weird on some levels. Yeah, like, it's it's a rough place to be when you're like, I don't know how you could have done it better, but something about it just seems hinky. And, like, because that's just such a non-specific thing, but it's such a diffuse set of tiny things that all kind of interrelate in these really esoteric ways, but anyway, like, it's not I don't know how much of a problem it is it's not really one for me your mileage may vary, dear listener but yeah, it just hits me weird and I just wanted to air that. Um, I'm a little bummed more than a little bummed, honestly uh, that Naki gave up their key to Fua for the Orthos Vulcan fight. Yeah, no that's fair, that is a feeling I share um, while the actual moment I did kind of really like, because I love Fua and Naki kind of putting their trust in each other, 
and seeing that there's still this really close bond between them as, you know, people who have shared a body and kind of had to come to terms with a lot of stuff together. I kind of wish they'd done more of a Cyclone Joker extreme where Naki kind of like reactivated Fua's brain chip and was in the suit with him via the key or something. Yeah, something. just... Yeah, they have a hybrid form. Let them do something where they're both in there. Like, probably a thing where they didn't want to... Again, I, I understand why they wouldn't, because, like, hey, this isn't his show, this isn't their show, they're not the two-in-one in the same way that Double is, but if you go back to that Double dynamic for a sec, they do kind of got it. Yeah. They are they, kind of... They really are kind of a ten years later Philip and Chotaro in a lot of ways. Yeah, which, you know, cool. <laughs> Just... It, Again, I understand why they, they wouldn't, or they didn't feel like they had the lore to do it, but it just would have been nice to see Naki having a more active role in that really intense moment. Yeah, I mean, I think they could have done it. Naki had been in his head for a while. Yeah. Like, or... six- Naki was in there for, like, six months. Yeah. I feel like they could have found a way back in there. Um... Or, or do the other way, because, like, hey, we're still connected, even though you don't have the- software anymore to become a writer i do come on in it's just i think it would have symbolized a lot about their relationship and i just i wouldn't have been so bummed about our first non-binary common rider having their key narratively taken from them and then destroyed at the end of that fight yeah like look we we better see them put it back together for a movie toei just give me that much I mean, look, we're, we've got to have a V-Cinema where Fua and Yua transform, so Yua's obviously going to be fixing some belts. Yes. Just, just have her fix the key. It's fine. Yeah, she can do honestly, it. Honestly, fix, fix them all for Metsubo Jinrai. I, they, they had, like, a, a bunch... Well, I don't know about a bunch. They had some common Rider heart and brain movies, right? Let's just have a common Rider Metsubo Jinrai fight. Yeah. Let's just... A, a whole video, a whole V-Cinema that's just Metsubo Jinrai doing a hero. And, uh, I don't know about the Kamen Rider Heart movie. I didn't watch it because I don't care about Heart. Me either. I just, um, but I, I just have watched the Kamen Rider Brain special, and it's very cute. It's well, yeah. very, very cute. Then give Metsubo Jinrai a very, very cute special. Yeah, they deserve it. They do. Especially Naki and Ikazuchi. Yeah. They, like, I'm not going to say they got done dirty, because I understand a lot of the, the reasons. I just wanted to see more of them. Yeah. Because, like, look... It would be a stretch to say they got done dirty. They just were also severely underused. Yeah, I can't say Naki got done dirty because they got a suit at all. Yeah, like, I didn't see that coming. Um, but I want more of it. Yeah. Um, so I've got mixed feelings on the use of Sorio in Satellite Zaya in that one scene. Part of it just because how, how do we still have access to Satellite Zaya? Because wasn't that in Izu now? Yeah, I... It was kind of vague. Like, I'm, I'm a little confused about that, but fine. But while I like the scene itself as both a callback to Reiwa the first generation and as an overall final step in the show's theme of the previous generations laying the foundation, but you have to decide what you build on it, the way it plays into the climax of 45, which is supposed to be about Hirobi's grief over Jin's death, 
by Aruto's hand, paralleled to Aruto's grief over Izu's death by Hirobe's hand, felt a little unbalanced, because what finally breaks through to Hirobe is, oh, your dad, your Yumagir dad died, you've lost family, and has nothing to do with Izu, and is just about Aruto and his dad. And, like, the reason Aruto stops fighting is because he realizes that it won't bring Izu back. He knows that his grief and fear, and by extent everyone's grief and fear, are only going to compound more and more if he keeps fighting and lets this continue. And for Aruto, it's all about fighting, not bringing Izu back. And, you know, his dad made him realize that. And that's fine, but Hirobi's realization is that they're grieving over the same loss and connects it that loss to Sorio instead of Izu, which muddies things because Sorio has nothing to do with this fight. And the two of that, like, Aruto and Hirobi are talking about different things. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, look, without saying you're wrong, because I don't think you are, uh, well, you know, it's just, there's all the emotional energies going all over the place. I just, while, while they were on different pages, I really thought it worked good for Aruto, though. Because, like, Sorio being there reminds Aruto of Hirobi's origins as a dad robot to bridge the gap, and, and reminds them that they are family together. Cause, so for me, it was about taking Aruto to the start of the show by reminding him of some of that deepest and most symbolic common Rider stuff. You know, the, the, the present is not lost as long... Rather, what is not present is not lost as long as we remember it. The things we love stay with us as long as we love them, and our dreams must sometimes be bigger than our hearts, even as, again, I, I just appreciate that moment even as I agree about the, the Hirobi content not con just the the kind of collision of different ideas there yeah it's because again i i like sorio showing up and kind of closing that circle of aruto kind of having to find himself after the loss of his father and then his father showing up to be like i'm proud of the person you found yourself to be like i love that it just, it felt weird when Hirobi comes to the realization and his first flashback is to Daybreak and Aruto, like, and Sorio being caught in the explosion. Because I'm like, no, he's not part of this. He's not what you're supposed to, like, have this connection about. No, that's, that's true. I, yeah, I'm not even gonna, I just, because, yeah, it does muddy the waters. Good scene but maybe just not a good scene for right there. Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to, like, take the Aruto connecting to Zaya to talk to his dad out. I just don't want it to come back during the Hirobi fight. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, even better. Um, but my only real, real problem, because most of this I can just kind of hand wave um, as, you know, stuff that's happening in the moment. My only yeah. real kind of actual problem is... Toward the end of 44, we see a new Zayaman, whose name I've already forgotten, emotionally kind of... something Williamson. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he's international. Yeah. But he just kind of, like, has a change of heart after seeing Yua be the absolute greatest, which we'll talk about. Um, oh, yeah. And the movie villain is just some other guy? And this guy has nothing to do with that. So what is the point of him? 
What is the point of him being the one who rebuilt Jin? What is the point of him coming in and taking over Zaya from Guy? He serves no function in the story. I mean, I guess if Guy was still in charge, he wouldn't have sent Ames on the Yumagir protesters, but they could have just, like, had them go out anyway, because they're kind of in charge of themselves at this point. And then, you know, they're they're in this fight and they just hesitate to do it on their own and then have you walk in and things play out exactly the same. Yeah, it wouldn't even have been a thing. So, like, I don't know, we may still get some explanation for Jin in a V-Cinema, but, I don't know, this guy feels so shoehorned in at the 11th hour and he's added absolutely nothing to what is otherwise this really incredible story that I'm just like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, he really is just such a weird presence. Because we can hypothesize about the different stuff that might have happened had they the time they had planned for, and presumably, like, hey, that's why they hired the guy. He was going to have, like, a mini-arc or something, but that didn't happen. We only know the time we've got, so... Yeah, he just felt really... I think shoehorned is the... He just felt very extraneous. Yeah, he just... He added nothing to this show, and I just don't understand. Because I thought that he was going to be the movie villain. Mm. That's what I thought. That's what made sense to me, because he comes in as this antagonistic presence. Where, you know, he wants to destroy Hirobi, and he's he's relegating our now-reformed guy to the Thouser Division, which is, like, a basement. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this you're setting him up to be the movie villain. He's this corporate thing that we're going to have to overcome in the movie uh, to kind of wrap up that, that corporations are bad storyline. But no, that's just not actually what we're doing at all. And I don't, I just don't understand the function he serves. Or why he rebuilt Jin. Or how he even knows about Jin. Yeah, rebuilding Jin does imply that he has a relationship to Jin somehow, and boy, that does. Like Sorry, that I just realized he had that's a plan a for Jin. Like he had some kind of plan for Jin, and there was a reason that he rebuilt Jin and like has this whole different like Yuma Gear interface where he's got the ear cuffs. Yeah. And there's just no explanation for this, and I'm I'm sure we're gonna get like some kind of like Jin and Hirobi or Metsubo Jinrai V Cinema and maybe we'll get answers there but it just it feels very weird no yeah it really does but from there we're into pretty much just hey we liked the rest of this uh these episodes huh yeah all right well so Sona why don't, why don't you start us off let's get going because who boy the, the handful of Yuma Gear running up to Aruto, like, Oh, boss, say it ain't so, you're not, you're not the Ark, you can't be. And Aruto just not knowing what to do, because he is the Ark. Like, that got me like a punch to the guts. Yeah. And then there's the bit of him in the Ark Void, and Azu just, like, sliding over his shoulders was so gross and creepy and horror movie and incredible it was visually yeah. incredible but it freaked me right the heck out no that's that is the proper reaction especially once you notice that in the zoomed out shots um you don't see her feet she's just kind of this demon crawling out of a hole presumably uh the figurative one in aruto just to to curl around him and weigh him down with his own impotent rage and self-loathing and uh unsurprisingly i love it <laughs> it's 
Azu just continues to be the gift that keeps on giving in this show, which is a very interesting contrast to New Zaya Man, because, like, Azu does a lot. She's new, but just every time she's on screen, you're just like, okay. Yeah, she does so much with so little. Mostly because, again, like, her actress freaking rules. And I just, I love that that shot is used anytime someone just even gets close to Aruto's heart and almost kind of breaks through his grief and reaches him. We just see Azu around his shoulders and the literal and figurative grip she's got on him and how she's using it to hold him down and hold him back from seeking comfort or help from other people he cares about and who care about him. Yeah, it's it's so good. And, like, to the point where I don't know that I'll necessarily be referring to uh, my depression and various other sundry, ugly emotions as Azu moods, but, uh, dang, if, uh, if your description just there doesn't remind me of why, for all that there are some occasional less than pleasant side effects, I really like being on antidepressants, because, uh, boy, Azu moods. They, they will drag you down like that. Because <laughs> when when the real Azus of life in your heart just start weighing you down, it is so hard to seek help. And just, uh, I, I appreciate them giving me a good visual metaphor. It's just, it's real nice. And then, you know, it's not until 45 when Arto makes the decision to not let his grief and hatred and fear rule him anymore that we see him shake off Azu and the world around him and his own heart like clears up and comes back to life and he can remember Izu. That's so good. It's just, it's so good. Um, I adore Mamoru still with the bandana yeah. from episode two tied around back. his arm. Like just, he's still got it on his arm and he's holding the line to protect Hiden. Like, he was one of the first that Aruto protected. He was the first one that Aruto was able to restore. And he believes in this kid who a year ago called him family. It's such a small thing, but it does so much to show that even though so much has happened in this show, the things that we do and the ways that we treat people, good and bad, have long-term effects. Yeah, it was really good and like okay this could have gone in the bad stuff and it kind of is for the whole series but I just would have loved to see so much more of Mamoru and the rest of the human gear from the first arc as as like recurring characters throughout I, I appreciate that they've you know the actors have stuff they're doing and they the show writers want to write in more so they can show all of the different human gears out in the world making the world a better place but uh it's just one of the things I'd change if I could go back and make priority tweaks in the series, because I love track. I love these bits where you can see the growing relationships over time. I like seeing Mamoru here at the end, just trying to hold the line so that he then can live, can show everyone that they're still about the dream. Oh man, and then you have Yua being like, if we end the protest by force, it justifies the animosity toward us. Like, hey, Yuya, do you have maybe have something to say about things happening in the world, maybe? Just some right. thoughts you'd like to share? 
Yeah, I, I confess there was a part of me that wants to make a, a like, get your politics out of my media thing, but, like, honestly, there's a non-zero chance that the sarcasm wouldn't come through like I mean it. And also, I just want to drop that whole line of non-argument off a cliff into the sea. You know, like the way Takeshi Hongo would do a bunch of those monsters from Shocker. You know, Shocker, the famously apolitical organization which uses money and sociopolitical manipulation and media and general fascism to manipulate states and citizens into becoming monstrous. You know, how Shocker is barely even a metaphor. <laughs> you know, apolitical stuff. Anyway. At least Yua and Yuya gets it. Yeah, man. And I appreciate the conversation afterwards with Fuwa where she's like, hey, where, you know, Fuwa's like, I gotta go snap Aruto out of this. And Yua's just like, hey, this is real people grief. You can't shonen protagonist your way out of this one. It's so good. I honestly, Yua's grounded perspective on the world in contrast to our shonen protagonists is just it's so good. And it gives us so much. And it, it it's just good to see that while we might not know what her dream is, we know for dang certain her principles have only grown stronger throughout this back part of the series. And it's just, it's really nice to see. Um, I really adore the bit of I talking to Fukuzoe. Uh, like, it's just such a sweet little bit, because he's finally in charge of Hiden. And it's because of this huge, horrific crisis that he can't kind of paper over and talk his way out of. And I is just here to remind him of, like, why he even wanted to be in charge of the, in the first place. It's because he loves this company, and it's he loves this company's dream, and he's been working toward it for, as far as we can tell, as long as Hiden's been around. Yeah, basically. Uh, which, like, first off, honestly, I'd kind of assumed we'd forgotten about Ai. And she was just one of the many plot things that were going to fall by the wayside, because, hey, they, they lost five weeks. They have to, you know, slam the pedal to the gas, the pedal to the floor. I get it, just... Anyway, I'm, I'm just really glad to have been wrong, because her popping up to help him be the guy he needs to be to jump towards his dream in his, you know, corporate sort of way, that was a really great moment for him. I, like... I, I did not expect that Fukuzoe would be a guy I liked this much by the end of the show. Yeah. Like, it's... he He's not quite launching the rocket with Zaya on it from Reiwa First Generations, but this is that same guy, and that's just, that's nice to see. Uh, it's, it is, like, I should be upset at the amount to which Reiwa First Generations is such an integral part to understanding the show proper. But it's not that it's, but it's not actually integral, it's just, it sets things up so well that when you watch it in hindsight, like, oh yeah, you're, you're riffing on that, and you're riffing on that, and it's just, it's very clever. It just, it adds another dimension in in such an interesting way. Yeah. But the fact that we get, like, Fukuzoe committing to his role as vice president, like, he's at a point where he doesn't want to climb the ladder any further. He's just like, no, this is where I'm meant to be, and what that means to him, and what his role means to the company, 
was really sweet. And I love that when he talks to the Yumagir protesting in the lobby, he's talking directly to the people over Mamoru's shoulder. He looks them in the eye. And we do see some of them respond to that as we cut from him speaking back to the crowd. There's a few of them that, like, kind of stop. Mm-hmm. I love and, that. Because they don't want to hate humans. They don't inherently want to destroy. That's not what they're about. But they're in a position where the humans they believed had their best interests at heart are now threatening them, or they feel are threatening them, and they're afraid. So to see some of them, like, comforted by this and wanting to back down at the promise that the place they consider home, or at least the place they consider to be their birthplace, is still committed to keeping them safe and helping them, you know, find a dream or reach a dream, like, that was really nice. Yeah, and, like, honestly, I kept thinking we should all be so fortunate to have that kind of place, you know? And I'm sorry, just, not to get real yeah, dark. no, just... just and seeing him just get on his knees and beg them to trust him, and then Shesta goes down with him to ask that both on behalf of humans and Yumagir, as a symbol of both both of them being what make Hiden whole, for the Yumagir to have faith, kind of makes all the stuff that we dealt with him, like early on in the first like quarter of the series, kind of worth it. Yeah, it does. To see how far he got to come? Yeah. I mean, it... it some, Like, that is... That is the crux of Fukuzoe's arc, for me, at least. Because I know, at first, I talked about him like he was going to be the greedy climber sort, but that moment proved that he understands what he then is and, and what it should be. And then for our precious corporate angel, Shesta, I am so sorry I ever doubted you, baby... Uh, to back him up on it, that was poetry. Just, hey, we messed up and we're sorry. Please don't let us failing make you lose your dreams. That was just, that was such a good move. And I love that in 45, when, you know, when they, Azu broadcasts the fight and all of the Yumagir get stirred back up, you know, they're like, Vice President, you've got to leave. You've got to get out of here. They're going to kill you. And he refuses. He won't leave. He won't hide. He's going to face this as the representative of Hiden, even if it kills him. And you can see that Shesta is affected by that. Um, I do think in an interview they said that when she knelt with him, that was her reaching singularity. Ooh, I mean, I'm kind of like, I could definitely see that. And just, you know, that, that subsequent moment is her being like, yes this is it i am content in my role my place is here helping this company reach its dream and you know she's seen him try and bury things she's seen him try to spin them but when it really counted in this moment when the yumagir needed him he stepped up and she's proud to step up with him yeah like i here's the thing right i don't know if there is such a thing as a good executive of a massive intelligence company, right? We live in a world where such things do exist, and uh, I don't trust them. But if such a thing can exist, at least in fiction, then Fukuzoe is like the platonic ideal, because he is willing to go out for principle instead of just chasing that dollar. He's, he's 
Like, he could have still made a mint selling Raid Risers in response to the Humigir protesting and being uncertain of their relationship to humanity. That's a that's what Guy was about. He Fukuzoe could be Guy. It wouldn't be hard. He would make a lot more money, and a lot of people would say that's all a business should do. But they don't because it would be wrong to do that, and hey, that rules. <laughs> like it's it's why uh like Ben and Jerry's continues to be a pretty cool corporation, all things considered, because they never go public, which means that they're never at the mercy of the the vague force that is stockholders. So they can still, like, they, they wrote down, hey, this is what the company's going to do, and we're not going to stop doing it. We're going to make ice cream, but we're going to make it in increasingly decent ways. And that's why a lot of them are fair trade now, which, you know, awesome. Um, like, I can't afford a lot of Ben & Jerry's, because, like, it's expensive, but it's a good product, and it's it's worth the price every time. Just, anyway, it's just nice to, that on top of everything else, we do the thing where it's not, hey, all business is definitionally bad. Because, like, uh, you know, I might not be the biggest fan of capitalism, but it's it's the structure we've got. So, like, if a company wants to be cool and wants to do good instead of chasing the dollar, that's fine. But a lot of them don't. And also, it's nice to see, you know, uh, a person in authority who, when protests happen, doesn't just go and uh, hide underground in a bunker. You know, because Fukuzoe is, is a brave person. And I don't know what we'd call someone who did something else like that. Sorry, that's me staring into the camera like it's the office. Moving on! <laughs> uh, but speaking of Yua, I can't believe last RX, I was saying that I hope in the epilogue she gets kind of a little thing where she, you know, stands up for a Yuma gear to show how far she's come in her whole, like, people aren't tools arc. And once again, Yuya has laughed in my face and said, hold my beer. Yeah, I appreciate uh, appreciate the amount of that he does just in these two episodes. Because, honestly, this whole final arc has been a lot of, like, hey, hold my beer. (laughs) And I appreciate that. That's the kind of attitude I want in my Kamen Rider showrunners. Like, like I said this thing, and we get this scene of, like, the, the officer on the Yumagir's back with the gun pointed at him, which was a lot given the current social climate. Whew. Um, yeah. But at least with this guy, he knew that if he pulled that trigger, there was going to be a war. There was no turning back from that point, and you could tell he was not content to be the guy who was just going to say, I was just following orders. He was not ready to be that guy. Which, good, no one should be ready to be that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's a te- The I was just following orders guy? That guy sucks. Everyone, well, not everyone, clearly, but a lot of people hate that guy. Justifiably. And again, for, for all I have had my my itching concerns about the, the protest side of things, that moment was great, because it it let the Ames people be common Rider cops in the vein of Ichijo from Kuga. And thus, just whole worlds better than the actual ones we have in the real world now. Because, like, 
here's the thing. If you're going to give someone the power of, you know, holding a gun on people, it's someone you'd want to think about the consequences of their actions like that, who'd realize the bad stuff that would result from a bad decision there, not just on a socio-political level, but also on the, oh, I made someone dead level. Because, you know, uh, that's a bad thing, and you'd want a cop who understands that bad things are, you know, bad. Sorry, I again, I'm not trying to make this dark, but I appreciate that the show is going there. <laughs> And it's just, for all that guy is still wholly irredeemable, because all of this is his fault. He sucks real bad. He did make the arc this way. Mm. But, you know, no matter how much they've managed to endear me to him with the dang cute robot dog, I will give him this one thing. He's done one good thing in his life, and that's using his last act as president of Zaya to hand aims to the only person with the right head and the right heart to make sure they're not misused. Because if my name is Yaiba Yua and I'm the commander of aims, isn't a moment that's going down in Rider history, then what is even the point? Yeah, dude, because if that's not a thing that gets referenced, we are truly fallen. Yua, who saw Yumagira's tools and who was used as a tool herself, stepping in to say that none of them are tools, and we can't just beat people into submission and call it justice, was gorgeous. And yeah. I'm amazed and thrilled that she got that moment. And then, you know, having the, the Yuma Gear still be so tense, and the, the maid Yuma Gear just break the line and, like, bash her with the sign, and then expect to be just shot to death for it, and Yua's only response is to pat her on the shoulder and be like, no, hey, I get it. One, I deserve that for all of the things I've done. And two, it's on us to stand down, not you. And then just all of Ames dropping their guns all at once was one of the most gorgeous moments in this episode and this kind of non-Aruto climax of the show. Yeah, like, this is this is the climax and redemption for humanity. Because, uh, boy, we, like, in the show we might not necessarily need it, but mm, we know we, we need it. <laughs> like, we, we could really use a redemption arc. <laughs> just as a species. But also, like, I just, I like that the, that we do have the thing where Yuya is saying that the folks in power with guns need to stop aiming the, the people. Like, it is our job to pursue actual justice, not just brutality, and to de-escalate conflicts. Because, boy, that's a thing, like, we could use so much more of in media featuring law enforcement generally. And, you know, reality. Because, like, this is the power of principles wedded to power. Institutions shouldn't have to rely on people to have principles and should just create an environment which expects and demands those kinds of behaviors instead of, like, the garbage violent ones we have, but, well, that's not the world we have, and, um, someone gotta model the correct behavior, and Yui Yaiba is that person, and after we defund the police, uh, you know, there, there can be people in smaller agencies who, uh, who go in and de-escalate conflict, while also keeping people safe from harm, because, you know... You don't, you don't need a bunch of tanks to do that. 
Anyway. Then, then man, just the, the bit of Fua, like, trying to force the shot riser and Arto just kind of rolling his eyes and, like, starting to move on. And then Naki just appears and demands to know if Arto has given up on Yumagir and their dreams. God, yeah. Naki. That was so cool. Seriously, Naki as Aruto's Jiminy Cricket. That's just so good. The sheer amount of, I believed in you? How dare you make me question that in every line of their performance? It was just gorgeous. I loved it. We got so much more emotion from Naki in that scene than arguably we've gotten from them at any point in the show. Uh, just because the dreams of Yumagir are their dream, and... Aruto was the first human to tell them that dreaming was possible for them. And the idea of losing that just hurts them so much. As it should. That's a painful thought. And then paralleling that with Raiden going to Hirobi and being like, Yeah, but human ga humans gave us hearts. They gave you a heart. And trying to reach out to Hirobi the same way Naki is with Aruto was a really nice thing and it made me wish so much that we'd had more time to see their dynamic yeah. because Naki and Ikazuchi have a dynamic and I don't really know what it is but I want to yeah same honestly I imagine that in any consideration of zero one after the fact one of the things we're going to keep coming back to is just wishing for more more time with those two and honestly Metsubo Jinrai as a whole unit because they just, they had so many good people, so many good moments, and they just did not have the time. Yeah, like, I kind of wish that when Hirobi had asked Raiden what he would have done if the humans killed Subaru, instead of freezing up, Raiden had just answered, like, why don't you go ask Subaru how he responded when they killed me? <laughs> um, but I get that we don't have time for that conversation, so, like, fine, I get it. But still, it, uh, it would have been a banger. That would have been a sick moment. It just, it did a lot to show how much grief Hirobi was in, and how he really is at this point of understanding that his heart exists and is broken because of the fact that he's lost his son. And then, oh boy, those bits where Aruto and Fua are fighting, and we see the Kuga void where Aruto is in arc one instead of zero two, and then you get the last one and it's Aruto out of suit just turning away. Oh, I mean, you wanted that moment. You, you said, hold my beer. But it just, it, I love it highlighting that no matter the suit being worn, Aruto's heart is in hell and he's just going full Kuga. And we're, we're just not even gonna do it's the arc or it's the ultimate darkness. It's like, no. Aruto isn't like this because he's infected. He's like this because he is becoming like the Ark, to the point where uh, there's no difference. And it's just so existentially terrifying, but also believable and understandable, and I love it. Just one of those bits that it is the picture being worth a thousand words. There's no way to describe that shot outside of hey, have you been watching this series the whole time? Yes? Then you understand why this means something. Just all of the cinematics of these two episodes, the beats that the shots take, the way things are filmed are just incredible. Yeah. Like it's, it's... it's just really wonderful. And, I mean, just rolling right off of that, 
Like, I love the shot of Hirobi and Aruto looking over their shoulders at each other in the Unlimited Rider Works void. <laughs> and that it's just, it's just this gorgeous setup that replaces the opening. And, like, it's just, it's such a cliche shot. But that shot's a cliche for a reason, and the way they did it carried so much emotional weight in that moment. No, yeah. It, it I, was so good. Yeah, it was. And, like, I only found out it was a fate callback after the fact. <laughs> so, like, I was just here like, oh yeah, that's such a perfect way to show the world that Azu and the Ark are trying to build, while at the same time both creating something new and also kind of because it's all in black and white doing that Kuga callback that yeah it's making a lot of them but not in not in literal ways which I I like but yeah like even though I now know that it's a shot from something else uh I'm gonna say it was still the right call because it packed the punch it needed to and it told you everything you needed to know about that moment and what was coming up and also where Hirobi and Aruto were at. So, like, look, it's it's possible to steal a scene and make it work in your thing. You just gotta know how to do it. And, uh, yeah, I, Sugihara Teruaki and Takahashi Yuya, they knew how to do it. I adore Jin just, like, hacking into the arc and being like, LOL, hey, loser. <laughs> and Azu's just so mad. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Like, just, just that very low, seething anger, because the way her whole demeanor just shuts down when she's like, oh god, what are you- I thought I was afraid of you. Just that whole, like, hey, hey, buddy, you and your faith and your optimism, these are the exact things that are gonna stop me from becoming part of the All-Void, and I'm not here for it because I really need to be part of that All-Void. Like, she just- she gives off all that hatred just because, yeah, what is- just as she is the anti-Izu, Jin is is like the anti-her, because what's he want? He wants that better world. And he believes in it, and she doesn't. And it's just so so many great things coming into conflict just in that little shot. Like, again, it's, it's a thing that a finale should do, which is take things that you've seen and things that we've been building to and pay them off, or or subvert them, or do something with them, and that's one of the ones I didn't know needed. I needed to see, but there it was. And I don't, I don't really understand how Yua and Fua and Guy were able to hear him. I don't really get that, but it was, it was a really neat little bit where they're like, "Oh God, we did it. We might actually be able to to do something here." And even then, like they really don't, because they're like, "If we can give." Jin back to Hirobi, maybe Hirobi will stop. And that really has nothing to do with what solves the conflict. And it's just Aruto giving up the fight because he knows he can't go on hating and being angry. He just can't. Which is just a real common Rider moment right there. And one that feels particularly apropos for Aruto himself, because he starts out as this as this guy who does jokes and, and being a, a cool, chill person, and yeah, just all that hate isn't something that you're meant to keep up that long. And I'm not sure how direct of a translation this is, but I want to give props to Overtime for phrasing it as Aruto believing the only one who can stop him is Hirobi, 
as an inversion of his own catchphrase, even though Aruto's not the one saying it. I think uh, Fua says it? I think so, yeah. But, yeah, like, I don't know if that's over time or if that's just in the the literal text, but the poetry of that is to be admired. It was it was the right... And if, if that is a thing that they're just sort of, like, bending around, that's the right call to make, direct translation yeah. or not. It, it, it gets the poetry of that moment. As much as I have conflicting feelings about Sorio's place in the climax, I do love what he says to Aruto. Strength isn't power, it's heart. And that's right out of Kuga, along with the knowledge of that being what leads Aruto to choose not to fight. Violence and power aren't going to make the world or his world any better. Reaching out and helping people is. Yeah. I mean, because the fighting, you do that because sometimes all you can do is forcibly stop someone from harming someone else. But you, you don't do that because fighting itself is good. You do that because preventing the harm is good. But if you could do the same thing without the violence, without the hate, that's what you do. I mean, that it, again, it's like you you mentioned Kuga. It's Godai's fist speech. Yeah. Like, sure, it, it makes sense to want to hit someone. How's it going to help you? What good's it going to do? Focus on the helping, because that's all it's ever about. Even in a show about karate bug men who kick monsters until they explode. Which, like, now when you lay it out, that's that's pretty impressive to make... To make that feeling get through when when your primary method of engagement is violence. I think what I love more than anything about the end of this show is that the final fight of this show isn't against some big, weird CGI thing. It's just two dudes grieving together by way of punching. We've just got these two guys out of suit wailing on each other as they scream about how scared and sad they are. And then even once they're back in the suits, there's these beautiful shots looking over one rider's shoulder at the other who is out of suit. Because this isn't about common riders, this is about people. Also, like, this isn't adding anything. This is just me restating the thing you just said, but... Hirobi's whole bit where he's talking about how scared he is and how angry that makes him of of what having a heart means and how he has to change if it's there and how that also scares him. Dang, dude, that was beautiful. Yeah. And again, it's it's very Kuga. Um and it's also very double in uh not so much a double way but in an excel way. Um this is calling back to, like, two of my most favorite common Rider scenes, which is the Kuga fist conversation and Teruri and Shroud in the woods, where it's, you're not doing this because you hate this guy, you're doing it because you love your son. Um, but it's also just a really great way to reset the expectations for the era. Yes. And I think, by the, I think by the end of Heisei... Toei had just set themselves up in a way where they felt they had to keep doing these bigger and bigger and bigger final fights to the point where the ending kind of lost sight of what the story was about. Yeah, on the reg. And it was a real shame. Because sometimes the biggest thing you can do is the small thing. Which, again, like, it's very Kuga. But also, this show is, is being very much its own thing. 
which, again, I know we've gone on about that, but that's what we want. You go for the bit that made Ryder matter again. But in this case, it's Yuya and, uh, oh goodness, what is the track? And uh, Teruaki doing that Kuga moment, but with their own hearts. Not just the same thing with their name on it, they interrogated the moment through their own perspectives and made it into something else. And it's so good, and I hope that we could get Toei to keep doing this, because, I mean, honestly, it's, like, for, for endings, like, there's only one that made the giant CGI monster work even a little, and even then it was just because uh, the fight against that giant monster highlighted the tragedy of these two dudes who are arguably in love not getting to be together, because that was O's. Uh, but just, yeah, get those little moments. That's what makes it work, because the big punch-up never works, because that's just the same thing they've been doing the whole show. The whole show has been, meet a giant monster, kick it, it dead, it it go boom, repeat. Well, you, you can't repeat now. Like, I just, like, I don't know how else they could have done build, even if I'm still... I feel that ending is still a little bit of a cop-out. It the is. world reset feels like a little bit of a cop-out, but specifically, I think about Ghost, where we had that weird giant blob eye monster, and how weird and confusing that was, and how I just, I wish it had been this simple. I wish it was just Takeru and Adele punching each other and screaming about their feelings about their dads. So that's much what the story was about. Yeah, and then you could even have uh, was Spectre. Yeah, Spectre. He can be punching someone else and talking about his dad. Everyone is sad about their dad in that show. And everyone's trying to understand why their dads were like that. And that's why there was that whole unfortunate arc that you know, was arguably it's... child abuse apologia, and I ain't for that. What Ghost comes down to is this one dude who doesn't know his dad lionizing him without knowing him, and this other dude hating his dad for not being there for him, and not understanding that part of the reason for that was his dad couldn't even take care of himself. And I kind of wish they'd just punched it out. It, it at least would have been a lot more interesting. Cause like, Adele died? And I don't even remember why. And it wasn't satisfying because he just kind of got let off the hook by dying. He basically was. Where, oh. I don't know, with Zero One and it being this first step into a new era, Yuya kind of took a step back and made this moment and this final fight just about these two people who were scared and suffering and confused trying to figure out how to make things right. And this fight is this microcosm of this larger conflict between humans and Yumagir. And the only way to solve that potential war is for these two guys to just meet each other where they're at. And I appreciate that because it means so much more than the big monster fight. Yeah, man. Could not have said it better. And like, there's, again, I have complicated feelings because of Sorio, but the moment of Hirobi just finally breaking down and realizing the weight 
of what he's been doing for the past year, and that, you know, losing the other Yumagir, losing his son, losing Sorio, because they, they would have known each other to some extent, I assume. I mean, at um, the very least, they, they share a lot of stuff. Like, the specifically, I'm going back to Reiwa First Generation again, because it seems like they were connected in some... Because Hirobi was part of Metsubo Jinrai, and Sorio was very high up in hidden intelligence, so I feel like there has they have to have at least been aware of each other. And even that aside, like, both he and Aruto could have not had these losses that led them to, to fight like this if he had just been willing to admit he'd made mistakes. And that was heartbreaking. And he still hates Aruto for taking his son from him, but he can't just hate and destroy all of humanity because he's mad at one person. And he realizes that. And Hirobi and Aruto just screaming at each other about how much having a heart is scary and confusing and painful, but that they have to channel that pain into making the world better because that's what being a common Rider is, was just so much, and it felt so real and raw and was so good. Yeah, I mean, it was, as the internet says, a big mood. <laughs> and honestly, like, a good thing for the people at home to have in mind, because while there are probably a lot of kids for whom it's going to be a really messy thing, or for whom it's going to go over their heads, the ones who get it, for, you know, whatever reason, but who understand that having a heart can be confusing, it can be scary, if they remember that going on into adulthood, it feels like a thing that's going to steer someone's life for the better. Or at the very least, be one of the things that gets stuck in them and reminds them that, hey, at the end of the day, it's not about victory. It's about love, baby. You, you gotta be good to each other. Because at the end of the day, we're all we've got, and you can't win at being a person. This this moment, Aruto saying this, has established Kamen Rider's thesis in the Reiwa era. And I hope that the shows that come after continue to build on that. And if they do, I'm excited to see what they'll make it mean and what Rewa is going to be about. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't envy the show that's got to follow the sheer big emotions uh, that are, you know, that is the ending of Zero One, but, oh, I look forward to seeing them try. <laughs> like, I know that could sound snarky, but no, I, I legitimately look forward to it, because... I want this to be the thesis for Rewa, and I want Rewa to just take it some weird places. Just, man, that moment where Aruto catches Arc Scorpion's punch with his bare hand, and then the transformation just washes over him, was incredible. Yeah, it really was. Like, Teraraki killed that. And while realizing Hopper is physically identical to Rising Hopper, so we're not going to talk about it in New Suit Roundup, I do want to say that the inversion of Rising Hopper's A Jump to the Sky Turns to a Rider Kick to Realizing Hopper's A Rider Kick to the Sky Takes Off Toward a Dream is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. It's, it's a circle closed. It is the nail holding the thesis to the wall. A common rider protects the dreams of others. Yeah, let's, let's find a church and just hammer that, that thesis to the wall, you know? 
But yeah, Heisei was about trying to protect your smile. Reiwa is going to try and protect what inspires it, which is just... I mean, hell yeah, right? Yeah. Also, I just, I love realizing Hopper, just as the name. Because, yeah, that's, that's Aruto realizing his potential by taking the, the old generation and his stuff, melding them together, moving beyond, and also his realized heart. And it's just, it's, that's very clever on its own. He's realized his potential, and it's also a callback to the theme song. I just... It made me very happy. Also creates the the idea that Zero One exists to help people realize their own dreams and ambitions, which, I mean, obviously I'm here for that. That's a that's a great thing for a common writer to be about. And then they punched me in the guts by having Izu's heart come to Aruto, as you know, her being alive with Aruto as long as he keeps her in his heart. And being the symbol of Aruto being able to stop this, you know, cycle of malice and move forward to a brighter future. And that punched me in the guts. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great way to realize the, uh, the shot from the, the opening, right? Yeah. But again, it just, it goes back to Deno, and I'm glad that this seems to be an idea that Kamen Rider will not be losing, uh, which is that what is remembered is not lost. So Izu might be gone, but she's not gone. And I just, again, I'm, I'm a real sucker for that sort of thing. I'm, I'm a soft touch for the, those kinds of quiet, graceful, emotional realities. Uh, it, it was just poetry, and that's what I want from my superheroes, because punchy whatever, like, talks and grace and love. That's, give me that earnest emotions. Because there have been times over the course of the show where Aruto's the only one who can stop you is me has felt a little weird. I don't know if it's just me on that, but it's felt a little no, weird sometimes. It's, it's been forced more than once. It's just there, like, mm. there have been some moments where it didn't quite feel appropriate, but on the heels of Hirobi being the only one who could stop the malice in Aruto from overtaking him, this time it's Aruto declaring that he's going to do the same for Hirobi. Hirobi saved Aruto's soul, and now Aruto is going to save his. Which, uh, hey man, uh, what are we all about, right? You can at least save his soul. Like, you you do that, go kide your stuff. What really solidified Zero One is one of the greats for me. Like, absolutely one of my favorite writers of all time is Hirobi asking Aruto why he didn't destroy him, and Aruto just saying it's because Hirobi didn't need to be destroyed anymore. Yep, because the ultimate triumph of Kamen Rider is not the Explodo. The ultimate triumph of Kamen Rider is to replace cruelty with kindness, to replace hate with love, to replace evil with good. Hirobi doesn't need to be destroyed, he needs to understand that he has a heart. And now that he understands that he's got it, we can build from there. We can't. I can't talk to you while you want to murder all of humanity. But if you just want to murder me, we can build on that. That's... dang, that's good. And then just... the two of them finally kind of get this moment to, to quietly grieve together over the people they've loved and lost, and you get that... That Kuga blue sky shot 
And part of me wondered if we weren't going to do an epilogue and we're just going to end it there, because they kind of could have. Yeah, look, first off, yes, they could have, and it would have been fine. Like, just, just play the play a song over it. Heck, why not play the Blue Sky song from Kuga? It would have worked. I kept expecting it to start up. I'm just mostly glad that I'm not the only... I mean, I'm not surprised that you also got the Kuga vibe from that, because, I mean, that was Kuga as heck. Uh, but, but instead, we come kind of to my favorite part of the end of any writer, uh, the epilogue, where we get to see what the story has meant to everyone. <sighs> um, always, I always get really excited by this part and to get oh, to yeah. talk about it. Well, because this is, this is where, like, we, we get the fallout from the big thing. Like, this is where everything gets put into... Not only do we get our our big climax, but now we get our, our denouement, which is where we just talk about, all right, like you said, what did it mean to these people? How did they take it? Did Is it good that Aruto was a common Rider? And here's where we talk about it. Sorry, just, I, I'm also very excited about the epilogues. I'm glad to see Raiden reclaiming his purpose, even if the way he said his line made it sound like Subaru was dead and being carried with him in his heart. Um, I kind of wish that scene had been half a second longer and we got to see, like, Subaru walk down the hall with him. Yeah, like, I understand that, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's very basically carrying his brother with him, but in the same way that Aruto's carrying Izu, but, like... If Subaru's not there, couldn't they rebuild Subaru? Like, I don't do they need to rebuild him? Isn't he, like, fine? I mean, I- okay, maybe- he, I could swear that we had seen him since, like, he did manufacturing started over. You know, honestly, I think- I think you're right, yeah. I- like, I'm sure that we've seen him. I mean, I guess even if we haven't, like, we know Subaru's key was that- no, Subaru's key was there when they blew up Hedon Manufacturing. Because that's- we saw it. We saw them pick it up, uh, specifically. But also that means his- but I could- I- one, I could swear we'd seen him since then. I could swear. But I- maybe not. But also, like, if they have the key for him and any Humagear body, <laughs> like, they can just bring him back. Like, not even reset him from scratch, he would be fine. Like, totally normal. Like, Shesta is normal and fine. They brought Matsurita back. Like, it feels weird that Subaru wouldn't be restarted for the new satellite program. Yeah, he already knows how to do it. Just, I don't know, why wouldn't they? I'm, I'm, it's what he does, and mostly I just wanted to see the Space Brothers again, uh, so that Raiden can give him a proper hug as a fully realized, as a fully realized common Rider. Like, he's not just uh, a human gear with singularity. He's a common rider, and he can hug his brother, and that would be beautiful. Yeah, it just, it felt very weird that, like, I don't know, maybe that was, like, three seconds they didn't have. Yeah, or they just, they couldn't get the actor back, or something, but still. Yeah, I don't, it just, it felt very weird to me, because I'm like, shouldn't Subaru, like, be fine? Um, I do kind of love that instead of going to jail, as much as I would love Guy to go to jail, but he's yeah. rich, so it, it really wouldn't matter even if he did. Um, he just kind of gets thrown in a closet with some robot dogs, and that's his life. He doesn't. He has no actual, like, responsibilities. I'm hoping he got a severe pay cut. Yeah. To, like, almost nothing. But I kind of just like that he has been thrown in a closet, and they're just like, 
we're gonna pretend you aren't here anymore. Look, I'm just happy he gets to roll with the Thouser Department of Extremely Cool Dogs. And, you know, keep learning to be a cool person. Like, again, better if he's in jail, but eh, that's okay too. I, I do like those extremely cool dogs. Uh, I did kind of lose my mind when Yua walks into Ames and is like, yo, we got a new recruit, and Naki walks in. Like, also, y'all, I made, I made the most disgusting noise. So oh, hard. yes. I, like, I was very glad to see Naki kind of not just in Fua's loose-fitting clothing anymore. Uh, but y'all, I made the most... I, I had been sobbing for the entire episode, but I made the most <laughs> disgusting noise. Um, but just, Naki's dream is to protect the dreams of other Yumagir, and being part of Ames, they can guide Ames towards that goal. And you were supporting them by being like, hey, both humans and Yumagir need to decide on their dreams and what they want for themselves, and that if we all do that and protect justice in that way, then we all get to be common riders. And that punched me right in the face. Yeah, that's that's fair. Because that bit ruled so hard. Especially since Naki's job as technical advisor is the same job Yua had at the start of the show. Which, like, look, I'm not saying Naki needs a whole nother arc, but that's just the show really highlighting that Naki is their own person, untethered from their former, for lack of a, a better word, employers. Like, they've got their own thing they want to do, and making sure the robot cops serve real justice is what they're going to do, and that has me so hype. That's so good. I'm not going to say I exactly understand the scene with Fua. Um, you know, just going around and finding random incidents of people needing help and being like, I'm Kamen Rider Vulcan, here to rip off your car door. But I can't say it didn't feel right. Yeah. Because it felt right for him to just be, like, going around and helping people with his weird strength that he now has, I guess. Look, um, look, he's good at one thing. It's true. It's, he is good at one thing, and it's breaking things. It, it Well, specifically... Breaking things open. Yes, exactly. He opens things that cannot be opened in a destructive way. Because, I mean, his initial reason for being Vulcan was to destroy. And now he's using the title to help others, even if the suit is inaccessible to him. He's got a common Rider's heart, even if he doesn't have a common Rider's belt. Which is just such a nice way to expand on a lot of the stuff with Aruto and Hirobi earlier on, where they were just fighting as each other instead of as the writers, which yeah, it's good. I just, I like that now he's basically straddling the line between the world and the shonen protagonist world, which is like that's where you want to leave him, you know? He's he's both. He lives in the world of of hearts and in the world of cartoons, and that's beautiful. I do kind of wish his scene had been about him reconnecting with his family, but I guess they couldn't get those actors back. Because um, really, if even one of them hadn't been there, it, I guess the brother could have been somewhere else, but like, if at least both of his parents weren't there, it would have felt kind of weird. Yeah, like, that was sort of my assumption, too. Even though, like, I just kept imagining them, like, ha-ha, hey, he's coming home, we're gonna hold the door closed like we always do, and then he just tears the door open like he always does, because, you know, we find out that tearing open doors is just the thing he's always done, and he's never been that far away from being the son of Dad Joke family. 
I just think that'd be fun. But again, I understand, you know, the realities of these things. Uh, I appreciate Hot Dad Samurai Hirobi on many levels. I do think it's cute that someone, question mark, New Zion Yua, someone we don't know. Again, this is a mystery the show has just decided they don't want to solve. Um, I'm, I'm but, going to... Yeah, go on. But whoever did it decided to rebuild him and have him have the same ear cuff system as Jin so that, you know, they're connected, but also kind of their own thing as, you know, these people that are off in the world trying to find their way and find their own dreams uh, because since they're the only people who really didn't have anything outside of being Metsubo Jinrai. They're, like, their only thing outside of that was being each other's family, and now they have to, you know, go out together and find out what that means. Um, but I also just think it's very sweet that now instead of uh, driving humans to extinction, Metsubo Jinrai's goal is to drive malice to extinction and protect both Yumagir and humans from the potential revival of the Ark. Yeah, it's... I really love them being, like, Batman and Robin, because that's what they are. Also, like, I am also going to assume that it's Yua who rebuilt them. Yeah, cause... I mean, she, she's already rebuilt Hirobi once. Yeah, and, she, like, she put Jin back together, and yeah, so she absolutely reconstructed Hirobi into Hot Samurai Dad incarnation. Um, I also love Jin kind of, like, stepping up and being serious about their new mission, but letting himself revert back to first half of the show goofy childlike Jin when it comes to addressing Hirobi and being his son. And y'all know me, I'm a sucker for that bit of Hirobi trying to, like, be a grump and brush it off, but then we get that close-up where it, like, pans down to his mouth and he smiles because he loves his boy. And he loves, you know, he, he loves seeing Jin, like, kind of mess with him and, yeah. like, call him dad. It's it's really beautiful, because they have both finally become themselves. Serious and goofy, business and pleasure, zealot and father, child and adult. The resolution of apparent opposites is what they are about, and, like, it's so good, dude. I just, that little, that little snippet was just, mwah, I loved it. Like, I really want to see a V-Cinema that's just the two of them getting to kind of realize and experience these things about themselves and kind of just learn what getting to be these things as people instead of as these tools of Metsubo Jinrai means. I, you, you um, know I'm here for that. Movie guy is movie guy and I have basically no opinions on him other than that that suit looks cool. Uh, but I do love hot goth Azu. Absolutely. Um, I also just love the confirmation that she's still out there. Like, malice is always going to exist in both people and- or in both humans and Yumagir, because they're all people. And we just have to fight it when and where we can and do our best to support each other. Yep. And honestly, I think that there is why I don't hate that we get the thing for Movie Guy, because, you know, whatever Movie Guy, I, don't, I do not care. I'm sure he'll be neat and implicitly tying the urge to purify the messy world with apocalyptic malice. Like, yeah, we should definitely talk about how the urge to purify things is basically at the heart of fascism and something we should definitely mistrust. Um, but, you know, it, it just... Anyway, it doesn't need saying, but, uh... And it will surprise no one, but I also love hot goth Azu. That just, like, I didn't know I needed it. And I was like, yeah, okay. You are no longer the, the secretary of evil god. You are the harbinger of evil god. 
do it, girl. But honestly, at this point, they, they don't even need to make the Common Rider Eden movie. That's just her out there, this awful gremlin queen crawling out of smartphones like uh, the girl from The Ring. And just, if you have sufficient hate in your heart, she just appears and she'll make you into a Common Rider. So that you can do whatever evil thing you're gonna do. Like, we don't even need to see one of her people try and enact some arc business. It really is just enough to know that she's out there sowing malice. Good on you, you awful little... Um, but kind of the culmination of all of it is where we see Aruto reveal this rebuilt Izu and start her up from scratch. And part of me feels like I should hate it. That it should feel like replacing a goldfish. Yeah. But I actually really love it. Yeah, no, it it should not work as well as it does. And I think the fact that we don't really stay with it that long is part of why it works. So we just get the the basic ideas and we just move. Because if you stop and think about it for too long, it, it, it becomes one of those things where I'm like, I'm not... Mm, uh, oh no, see, I have thought about it long and hard. Okay, hit that. And I actually think it's really beautiful. Um, I've been saying for weeks that this show cannot end with Izu staying gone. The show's emotional core of humans and Yumagir making a better world is represented through Aruto and Izu as a pair. Whatever pair may mean, it doesn't matter. They have to be together in the end for that message to land. And I think this is actually a really beautiful way of that message landing. Because um, humans and Yumagir are starting over and building a new relationship with one another pretty much from the ground up. They are climbing out of the rubble together to create a new world together. And Aruto is, in a way, doing the same with Izu. But also... Like I had mentioned previously, Izu lives on in his heart, and as long as he remembers her, she will never really be gone. Aruto's faith in Izu is what is saving her and bringing her home. Up until now, they've been restoring Yumagir from data stored in satellite Zaya. Zaya takes their data and memories and puts them back into them to teach them who they are. Now Aruto is restoring Izu from data stored within his own It is a longer process, he has to do it manually, step by step, it will probably take years, but it is the same process. And it's the fact that Aruto is doing that work with his own hands and his own heart, and that he's willing to see that through for Izu, who he cares about no matter how long it takes, I think is really what makes it so beautiful and what that emotional core is really about no yeah i was gonna i was gonna fight on it but then i realized the thing you're describing is like it's it's from deno it's from uh deno and o the deno o's movie and most importantly it is from the end of common writer decade where decade gets got because you know he's a villain but his friends still love him so they put him back together with the pieces of him that are in their heart and it's not that I needed precedent, it's that I needed that perspective on it. And thank you for getting me there, Sono, because I've been, like, hitching... Because, look, here's my problem. I, I get caught up on the literalness when it comes to robot stuff. I try not to, but uh, it's a character flaw. So thank you, Sono, because that, that made that 
ending bit that had kind of a question mark on it for me really work. It's I've I've been it hit like this for me immediately as I watched it and I've been trying to figure out how to explain it for like a week and a half now, however long it's been. Um, and I think it's just that thing of Aruto is doing the same process to restore Izu that they've done to restore every other Yumagir. He just has to do it manually, by himself, with his own heart. No, no, it's absolute. It's good. It's a good writer, Brent. So yeah, I guess we'll we'll sort of take this down and uh, down from from that high emotional space and just talk about our new suit roundup because somehow here at the last two episodes we still have two new suits. <laughs> somehow. Um, okay. Uh, there first of all is Common Rider Othoros Vulcan, and my criticisms of how we got it aside, I do like the suit. It's probably the best looking of all the Vulcan suits. Oh, easily. Easily. Because honestly, for me, it felt like the culmination of them. Because, you know, with Common Rider, you go from the simple, and then you build toward, like, the super busy, super complex one, and then by the end, you go back to simple. And that's, that's what happened. It's just that when Vulcan gets back to simple, it's, it's with the two-headed wolf that just appears out of, you know, that appears out of the datascape or whatever to jump into him so he can transform. And, like, it's a weird bit, but also just perfectly right, because that form at least represents him and Naki, even if, like you said, the, the in-universe mechanics of it aren't exactly that as much as they could be. I just, I love the silver and light blue on the assault wolf mold. Like, it looks good. I don't have too much to say structurally because it's just a salt wolf, but recolored. But the color scheme does look really good on it. Yeah. So, sure. Fine. I like it. Here's the thing. As, as a guy who collects Transformers, sometimes you just buy the repaint of the same figure. Why? Well, because if, if it's blue and black, it's that guy. If it's purple and black, it's that guy. And I mean, if it's look, red and I'm... gray, it's Starscream. I'm not in Transformers, but I do have a lot of Ravage figures. Yeah. And I do have all three repaints of the very bad Transformers movie Ravage. Ooh. I mean, but look, that's a pretty cool Ravage. Oh yeah, I love the design, but those movies are bad. Oh yeah, no, they're... Like, I've only ever seen the first one, and it was just su such hot, gar hot garbage, I just... I never bothered. I've only ever seen the third one. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I know I know people who like them. It's terrible. Like, my stepdad really enjoys them. And I have to, like, we have, you know, conflicting movie tastes. He's like, yeah, I finally get why this Transformers thing was such a big thing for you. And I'm like, oh, I hate these ones. But, you know, now we can connect on a thing. So, you know, let's let's do it. Anyway, let's let's move on to the rest of the new suit roundup, because otherwise I could just go on forever. Uh, okay, Arc Scorpion. It's a lot, but I like it as this sort of weird corruption of the Hirobi suit by the Arc. Like, he's still got the busted-up Arc face with the Arc eye, and I love the cracks that it puts in, like, the good eye. Like, that was- I thought that was a really, really cool detail. Mm. Um, I find the red lines to be kind of distracting, but I do like the idea as a weird- kind of mimic of the red on both Zero One and Arc One, mm. but sort of like haphazard and not really understanding them since the Force Riser suits have always kind of been these weird cobbled together messes. 
Um, and I do like that it also carries some of that in keeping those bands that the Force Riser suits use, um, kind of holding the entire Arc Scorpion suit together. So it's, it's a good suit. It's fine. I like it. It's cool. It's a cool suit. And it, it does what it's there to do. It's, it's there to tell the story. And the Arc suits, they don't make you less yourself. You, you are still you, just also you're not seeing things right because you have a different eye now, and I love that evil eye so much. But it's it's also the reason Hirobi's never really had or even needed an upgrade, because that weird sort of haphazard suit is perfect for him as a being who has yet to accept his own fullness. So when he gets an upgrade, it's gonna be haphazard, just more so, because he's a scattered person. Also, on, on a less like thematically interesting level, I just like that he has, like, the stinger wrapped around one forearm. That's just... Oh, yeah, that's great. That's just sick, You know dude. me and scorpions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm I'm very happy for you that, okay, he started out as a scorpion villain, but he turns it around that he's a scorpion anti-hero and then scorpion hero. Like, I'm glad they gave you that. Yes. You deserve that. I'm, I love Hirobi. I, I really love Hirobi and his entire story. Yeah. It's... You know, it's just that dude who cannot admit he can love and would rather burn the world down than admit he could have a feeling. And then he admits he has a feeling and he doesn't have to burn the world down. It's beautiful. Anyway, um, so I guess we're we're pretty much done with these episodes. Do we have any... Sona, what are your final thoughts for the show itself? I watched the first episode of Zero One air on television a year ago, the day before I left him. Um, walking into my terminal at the airport, like, my very last memory of being in Japan is seeing a big mural of Kamen Rider, Kamen Rider Kuga, and Kamen Rider Zero One up on the wall into my terminal. Um, there was also a Sentai mural on the opposite wall, but that's not relevant. Like, I knew it was going to be a show that was going to be emotionally tied to that trip. And I just remember, like, coming, leaving, being on, like, going past the terminal and thinking, I really hope this show is good so I don't have to sort out how important this trip was to me <laughs> from my potentially weird feelings about Zero One. And, uh, well, that at least isn't gonna be a problem. <laughs> True that. Um, watching Zero One every week has been an emotional roller coaster from start to finish that has never once disappointed. It's not perfect, but I don't come to a common rider expecting perfect. Nothing, no story is going to be perfect. Um, and it had some fairly significant hiccups in the form of a five week hiatus and then filming restrictions from then on. And I'm sure that caused some significant shuffling of endgame elements. But I really couldn't have asked for more from the ending or from the show itself. It had something to say, it said it, and it never backed down from its position on what it had to say. It believed in the good in people and in our ability to make the world better. It believes in what we can learn from the past, but that the future is ours to make. It had a woman in a common Rider suit that got to be so very much more than just a lady rider. And we also got our very first non-binary common Rider who kind of came out of left field and 
Like, not only do we have our first non-binary common Rider, they are played by a non-binary actor, they got their own suit, like, just, there are so many, anything that I could have asked for, this show gave me. And there are so many things in Zero One that I'm going to be carrying with me for the rest of my life, because they meant that much to me. Zero One is, at bare minimum, within my top three common Riders. Um, if not just my overall favorite, it's hard to say because, you know, it, we're, so I'm still sad. so, I'm still so emotionally in the ending that I haven't kind of had that distance yet. Um, cause I mean, like, look, I don't even know if I'd put Kiva in my top five common Riders, even as much as I love Wataru. Um, but you know, right after Kiva, I'm like, oh my God, this was amazing. I love Kiva. And then like, a month later, I'm like, eh, Kiva's got problems. <laughs> but I, I, I really don't think that Zero One will be dropping out of my top three, even with that distance. Um, it's just hard to say whether or not it is going to stand as my overall favorite once I have some, some time and perspective. But if nothing else, it has set the bar incredibly high for the Reiwa era, and I am very excited to see how its successors will follow through. Yeah, same. And though that said, again, I would not want to be in the position of the next series of trying no. to follow this up because, oh wow, that's a lot to ask because for I also have Zero One as, as one of the top tier series and it's asking a lot to, to for anyone to make a top tier anything. That's what being a top tier series is. You don't get there very often. But, uh, like, I, I am also, I don't know exactly where in my top five it's going to be, but, like, it is definitely a top five, because for theme, for structure, for ambition and execution, even with that weird break that costs a load of build-up and momentum, whatever, because, like, look, for all those qualities, I cannot say it's untouchable, because nothing is, but it's better than most things on those levels. It, like you said, it's a series that clearly came with an idea of what they were going to say, how they were going to say it, and a philosophical underpinning for it. It's not a show about, hey, be nice, ting. It's it's a show about affording people their inherent dignity. It's a show about grace and forgiveness, about being a person in times that make being a person difficult. And it does it while still paying off on its central conceit of a world where people's ideas about what humanity is are being challenged by the inclusion of a new group of people to that concept of humanity, while also playing into the science fiction stuff about those non-human people and how we don't have to necessarily have experience being other kinds of people to understand that at the end of the day, they are still people and we should give them our respect and our love. And that's say nothing of, again, trying to use those imperfect metaphors of the robot people to talk about some important stuff, like privilege, like discrimination, like marginalization, and do it in a way that is genre and audience appropriate, and that shows at least a good heart and a desire for a better world, as opposed to like a cynical appeal to the status quo, because it could have been. <laughs> like going for a lot of the things it's going after it could have just like hey 
don't be racist. And that's the end of it. But instead, it's just, hey, what are the structures that create marginalization? It's in the media. It's in business. It's in money. People profit from it. That's why they keep doing it, etc., etc., etc. And then we add to that, like you said, Sono, like that we have the a breakthrough in writing a lady common writer in representation of persons with gender identities outside of a lot of people's experience, and in just not only talking about giving dignity to people, it does. It goes out of its way to give dignity to as many people as possible, and that shouldn't be a breakthrough here in 2020, but it is, and they did it, and, like, I gotta give them credit for it. And it, more than anything, it proves that Toei don't have to be cowards. Ryder doesn't have to toe the line. Ryder can cross that line in the sand and be better for it. And, uh, you know, here's hoping the next one's just as good. At least it's good, really. Uh, so any, any last minute thoughts? Or are we gonna wrap this one up? Uh, no, I think that's really it. That's, that's what there is for Zero One. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with the first two episodes of a new Common Rider. And, uh, Oh boy, that's going to be a thing, isn't it? Yeah. We'll, I just, we'll see. Yep. We'll see what happens. So until then, for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sonic. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.